a service. Okay? Does that make sense? Everybody got that? Give me a nod. I just want to make sure you're here. Let's take attendance. If you're here, say here. Here. If you're not here, never mind. I'm going to let that go because I know some of you guys will take advantage of that moment there. Second thing is just a personal prayer request. Tomorrow night uh, at 7 o'clock, I'm doing a conversation about race with Pastor Nate Purvis and uh, Pastor Levi Powers at the uh, Lutheran Church and Pastor Kerry Parrish at the Congregational Church online on the Chamber of Commerce website. So I just need your prayer about that because uh, I'm feisty sometimes and I need to be graceful and wise. And wisdom isn't my strong suit. I'm better at dumb. Just kidding. All right. So <laughs> thought you'd think that's funny, but then I saw that you were like, well, he is kind of. So, all right. Yes. Kids' church meeting. Oh, yes. Kids' church meeting tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, number 7, Big Sky Drive, which is also where I live. And so my wife lives there too, which is weird. <laughs> anyway, the, the kids. So uh, if you are uh, helping with Kids Church, would like to help with Kids Church, uh, we need help, by the way, uh, not teachers, helpers, technology, uh, lassoers, any lassoers, uh, tasers, uh, no, that's for the workers. Anyway, so 7 o'clock tomorrow night, if you can help with Kids Church, that would be, get some information on that. Okay, today we're starting a new series called House of Worship. The song you just sang, A House of Miracles by Brandon Lake, is uh, kind of our theme song. For this series, and um, what it just kind of personally as a way to introduce the series, God has done a, an amazing and a miraculous thing in my wife and I's life over the last six months. And uh, we had no plans of moving, and now we've moved into this incredible home. And uh, I will tell you the story at one point in the future. I will, but this song has been key to us because uh, as you were singing it, you may have been thinking about it in relationship to what we're doing today. As, our, as we gather together, and this is a house of miracles. But that's not how Christian and I were hearing it. We were hearing it as that the home we would live in is an actual house of miracles. And so that's kind of the brainstorm and the inspiration behind this, uh, this series. And so we're going to be talking about this series about church. And we're going to be talking about church as not a place to go, but as something that we are. So if I got up here today, and and this happens all the time, sometimes I say it because it's something I can count on. I can say, it's not our job to go to church, it's our job to be the church. There would be a rousing amen. Yes, we've got to be the church. And then we would all go home and have no idea how to be the church. I mean, we were like, what does that mean? You know. And so I want to put some skin on what that looks like, not just for you personally, but also for your household. Because if you read the New Testament, you're going to see that their faith operated out of households and into communities of people. And so that's what I want to talk about in this series, open our eyes to in this series. And so let me start with a little bit of engagement. Let me try and annoy you a little bit. So when I say the word church, is there a microphone up here? Can the white mic be turned on if I need it on? All right. Uh, It also can be turned on if I hit the button. It's green. Okay. So, I say the word church to you. Say the word church. You hear me say it. Church. What's a positive memory you have about church or something positive you can say about church? Real quick, you've got to say it fast because I have a long sermon. If you stretch this out, we're just going to be here longer. Okay? 
So, anyone have a word? Say church. What does that bring to mind for you? Something positive. What would you say? Did you say? Fellowship. All right. Okay. Good deal. <laughs> Fellowship. What's that word mean? Like the gathering together of the body. Okay. Gathering together of the body. Okay. Got it. What's another, what's another thing? Church. What's it bring to mind? I'm fat. I need the exercise. Worship. What's, what's worship? Praising God. Praising God, okay. Gathering. Sally? Ga- gathering the, the body of the Lord. Okay, gathering the body together. Okay. <laughs> he said God first. Okay, God. King and country is Cayman's favorite band, y'all, so he talks about it all the time. Anybody else? Church, what's it bring to mind? Positive. What was that, Josiah? Redemption. I heard somebody over here. Family. Oh, I like that. A couple more. The Word. You mean like the Bible, sermons, all that? All right. Okay, he's easy. So uh, here's the thing. All of those things are right and good. Those are things we connect with church, positive images that we have. But church is a lot more than that, and it's a lot more concise than that, if I could, if I could use that word. Because it's, you know, when I think of church, when I talk to people about church, and believe it or not, I talk to people about church a lot. It's kind of incidental to what I am, you know. In fact, I try not to tell people what I do so I don't have to talk about church so much. That was a joke. <clears throat> when we think of church, sometimes we think nostalgia. I remember I grew up in the South, and Southern gospel music was big, and uh, so I know a little bit about Southern gospel music, and uh, so I, I, I remember types of preaching. I grew up under hard preaching. You were wrong, and you should feel bad, and so go home and feel bad, that kind of preaching. Um, so there's these memories that anchor me in what, and those are all like my definitions for church. There's also routines. We're all creatures of habit, okay? I don't know about you. I drive the same way to wherever, wherever I have to go. Like if I, if I were going to a job, I would drive the same way every day. I'm a totally a creature of habit. I wouldn't even do it on purpose. I just start the car, and when I wake up, I'm where I meant to go, and I went the same way to get there. I don't know if you're that way or not, but I am definitely that way. We're creatures of routine. Sometimes we connect church with activities, so like today, we came together, we said hi to each other, uh, we sang some songs, and now we're listening to a sermon, and we're kind of used to those activities, and when we think of church, we think of that, it gives us a little stability. You might be from a higher church background, and you're used to liturgy, uh, responsive readings, read prayers, those kind of things, and that may connect you or anchor you to those churches, those activities. Sometimes we connect church with a facility, with a certain type of steeple or spire, stained glass, art ceilings, architecture, because churches are, are famous for architecture. And in fact, in the <clears throat> hundreds of years ago, architecture was seen as a method of worship. And so we, we connect all those things. And maybe it's artifacts. So I, I grew up in a much more blue-collar flavor of church, so we called them sacred cows, which is very disrespectful, but that's what we called them. And so there were, like, so the, the second church I pastored, we had a Remembrance of Me table, which is a communion table, that had a brass plate on it on the side 
that said, in memoriam of, and it had another guy's name. That may not be funny to you, but the Remembrance of Me table is supposed to be about Jesus, and someone donated it and had a brass plate on it. So, anyway, just these things, these artifacts, it could be pulpits. I've gotten more trouble over pulpits than anything in my ministry. <clears throat> I always take them out when I go to a church, and someone usually puts it back in sooner or later. So, <laughs> large Bibles, large Bibles, uh, elegant communion stuff, baptistries, all these kind of things connect us. With, we, when we start saying church, we start doing this associative thing. So what I want to do is I want to take all of that, and I want to say, hey, it's good. It's all good. Praise the Lord. It's there, it, it's, and I'm glad it's in your story. I'm glad it anchors you. I'm glad it's important to you. But you could have all of that stuff. And, and you could go to church with all of that stuff and never actually be the church. And that's what we're talking about in this series. Actually being the church of Jesus in our world. And I, this, I mean for this sermon to be as practical as possible. So I'm going to come at some things. I'm going to use some personal illustrations. And so I hope you'll go with me. I hope we can have some fun with it. However, it may get uncomfortable at different points. So we're going to talk about three things throughout this series. Today we're talking about worship, as Anna brought up, and I'm going to expand on her addition and on her um, wording and definition of worship. Next week we'll talk about community and what that looks like in the body of Christ. And then the last week we'll talk about mission. So I want you to remember those three words, worship, community, and mission, because those are the core activities of the church. This, when you talk about being the church, we're talking about worship, community, and mission. And this is incredibly, incredibly important. Because I want to I back away from the power of the large. We live in a world where bigger is better. And we like those, those big-name preachers and ministries with giant ministries. And I want to back away from that. Because I think, this is my personal opinion, it's strictly Michael opinion, but I think ministry in the future is about to get a lot smaller and a lot larger at the same time. That's my belief. And so I want to prepare for that, and that's part of why we're having this discussion. You can have all those large numbers, though, and never be a church. It doesn't matter how many people come. It matters what they do. So let's talk about the power of the small. The power of the small. The Bible says in Zechariah, it says, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And I'll stop right there. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin. So let me, let me start with this. Church can be small, but small does not mean one. Church is bigger than an individual, and being the church is more than your family. This is really important, okay? Because one of the, we've reached out to a lot of people over the existence of ordinary faith, and a lot of those people are upset with church, and they'll give us a try because we're a little bit outside the denominations and, and the lines and all those kind of things. They'll give us a try. And so I have talked to more people who are mad at the church than I care to put a number to. And, and you know what? I'm actually in the club. I have been there. Pastor Steve has been there. Pastor Mike. We all know about being mad at the church. We've all suffered from people who are part of the bride of Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you something. Being the church means that you are involved with more than you in serving Jesus Christ. 
So if you were sitting there or you were online right now and you were justifying an isolated relationship with Jesus Christ, I just want to correct that gently, lovingly, but boldly. Okay? If I went to Pastor Steve and said, Steve, I'd like to have you over for dinner tomorrow night. You can bring the kids, but I'll tell you what, uh, you know, Becky really makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Sorry, Becky. I should have warned you ahead of time. I knew I was going to do this, too. So, Steve, would you, would you leave Becky at home? Would you just come on over? What do you think Steve's answer would be? No? What's it, Steve? We won't be friends. You mean to tell me that if I try to leave your wife out of this relationship, we can't be friends? Crazy. That's what he said. Hey, Michael, what if I said, hey, I, I want to go out and hit, hit uh, me and Christy and you, maybe the kids, we're going to go out and, uh, and go snow tubing. But would you leave Lori at home? She freaks me out. <laughs> Sorry, Lori. I'm picking on the pastors because I can. <clears throat> What'd you say, Michael? No. Do you really think you can say to Jesus, Jesus, I love you. I think you're awesome. Thank you for dying for me. But could you leave your wife at home? I really don't like her. Do you really think you can have a real relationship with Jesus? No. Being the church, which is what Jesus instituted, it was his idea, we'll talk about that next week, implies that we're going to follow Jesus with others. Do you hear me? We're going to be on mission for Jesus with others. We're going to be in community with others. And let me warn you, Jesus knew that was uncomfortable. Jesus knew that was going to be awkward. And so I just want to tell you, as we go into this series, to prepare for wrestling with those things. Am I going to beat you up about it? I'm going to try not to. But i got to be honest with you, i got to slap myself around a little bit. Because I, I have put some walls up, too, that I've got to take down. So when we talk about being the church, today we're jumping into the, the, uh, the worship of that. But I just want to remind you it's important that we do this together. I know I have to watch my time, so I'm probably not going to do that. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.25, Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We have got to have this mind that we work together. So let's jump into today, our series is where, where is Jesus actually Lord? And that's where we jump into the idea of what worship is really about, getting away from our misconceptions. So Romans 12 is where we're going to go. I'm going to read about 10 verses. So uh, bear with me, but these are great scriptures. Romans 12:1. And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. It's a warning Paul's about to issue. Do not think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. And just as our bodies have many parts 
and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. So we jump into this text about sacrifice, and we've talked about it in regard to sacrifice, but what I need you to see that in Romans 12, 1, God, uh, God, through Paul, takes the idea of sacrifice, giving up, laying down your life, and sets it in the context of being the church, the body of Christ. If you're unfamiliar with that expression, it's Paul's language out of Romans and out of 1 Corinthians, and how that the church, that people in the church work together like a body, and like the body has different parts, the church has different parts. People have different purposes and missions in the body of Christ. And so Paul nestles this idea of the body in the thought and the intention of sacrifice. So, I would argue, and what I want to present today is the issue of how that worship is an antidote for our brokenness and lays a basis for that sacrifice. We are all broken, and we have all broken others. Let's start there. We are all broken, and we have all broken others. So, uh, when I was a kid, some, one of my earliest memories was of being in trouble. Anyone else share that, share that sentiment? Anyone else ever been in trouble in the room? Amen, hallelujah. Any of you in trouble today? Any of you husbands in trouble today? We could have lunch together. I'm sorry, it's a personal thing. <laughs> just having fun. I know Tucker's in trouble, so we'll just hang out with him. One of my earliest memories, I don't even know how old I was. Um, I was being accused of something I didn't do by someone that had authority in my life. And I said I didn't do it. They didn't believe me. They thought I did do it. I finally admitted to do it to try and get it over with and to get out of trouble. And then I got punished for doing the thing I didn't do. One of my earliest memories, okay? We all have stories like that. We're all wounded. And it doesn't even matter who did it or why they did it. It, it, it would have come. We live in a world that, that is there. Its intent because of corruption is to break us. And so it, was a, it set up a life of me of people-pleasing and wanting to stay out of trouble. Okay, I still struggle with it to this day. But here's, so the story goes on. So I got in trouble. It formed my memories. It, formed, it set a wound in my life that I've had to deal with, and, and Jesus has visited with me over many times. But then I got older, and I was in um, my, my corporate life. I was a young adult. And I worked in the food industry. And that is a great place to be in trouble. And it's a great place to keep other people in trouble. And so because of that, my history in food, I, my, my job was to, to get people in trouble. My job was to the one who yelled at them because they did something dumb. Or something I thought was dumb. And so here I was under the weight of being in trouble. And now I'm the voice of one who... who causes other people to feel guilt and shame over trouble. And then I started my ministry. I was 24 years old when I was ordained. Still young and dumb. I'm still dumb, but I'm not young anymore. And, and I, was in a, I grew up in a very fundamentalist um, faith. Very, lots of rules. Lot, things had to look a certain way. Uh, preaching had to be a certain way. Uh, and then I leaned into the Reformed faith, and I I studied Calvinism and all these things, and it really spoke to me because I really got, it really made sense to me that we were, we were always in trouble and God was really just tolerating us by grace. That just spoke to me. 
And so as a pastor, I'm making sure every Sunday that everyone realizes they're in trouble. You see this pattern? A person who is broken becomes a person who does some breaking. And we're all broken. We're all broken. And we've all broken someone else, usually someone we loved. Does that make sense? So I would, as we think about worship, we have to jump into the eye of brokenness because what I want you to understand is that there is an, there's an antidote for brokenness, and it's worship. Because worship, I love singing. I love what we do with it. I love our worship team. But that's such a small part of worship. Worship, as Steve said as we began, worship is enthroning Jesus as Lord in this moment. Not in general. Not not over the world, but over this moment and over me. And what I need you to understand is why this is the antidote for brokenness is that because worship is repentance... It's faith, it's submission to Jesus Christ, it's obedience and surrender all rolled together. That's what worship is. You can't repent, truly repent, without a heart of worship. You can't surrender without a heart of worship. So why is it important for the church to worship? And what is worship? Worship is enthroning Jesus as Lord over this moment and surrendering to that lordship of Jesus and declaring in obedience and living in obedience and faith toward Him. And so that's the beginning of worship. So it's the antidote for our brokenness. Worship that's authentic and it cries out under the weight of that trouble I'm in. And under that weight it cries in the brokenness, but then it shouts with joy at the response of Jesus to my brokenness. He arrives in that moment of brokenness. And that's where worship begins to happen. So then, here's where we begin. We start with worship, and we start with our brokenness, and we move into worship. So then what is practically worship? It is the applied lordship of Jesus Christ. The applied lordship of Jesus Christ. Remember that. Let me jump into Romans 12.1. So dear brothers and sisters, I know we just read it. We're going to read it again. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I want you to think about this. Here's the scripture presenting people who live in sacrifice. Where do we get this idea? That sacrifice is worship. From the history of the Old Testament. Every time you see someone worship in the Old Testament, they build an altar and they kill an animal. There's a sacrifice. Worship is always built on sacrifice. But here's what happened to the New Testament. There's no need for an animal because Jesus became the sacrifice. And now the sacrifice is you. So if you're going to worship, it's your body, your mind, your desires on this altar and then we come together as a body that worships 
And so we, we lay down our lives for each other. We'll look at that more uh, practically next week as we talk about community. But consider, think about the potential of a group of people that are willing to sacrifice for each other. Willing to lay down their lives, their dreams, their desires, their opinions to be the body. Crazy. So, think about this as we move in and apply this concept of worship as an antidote to a brokenness. Now, if you think about it, I want to ask you a question. Does that sound extreme? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And by that, he meant I'm the only way. Does that sound extreme to you? In a world that thinks that there are many ways to God, doesn't it sound a little extreme that Jesus would say, I'm it. I'm the only way. What about this? How about words of Jesus like this? Luke 14, 26. If you want to be my disciple... You must inconvenient yourself slightly and maybe quit a football game a little early. <laughs> you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, otherwise you cannot be my disciple. Does that sound extreme to you? I have to love Jesus so much that my love for him makes my love for my wife look like hate. Does that sound extreme? doesn't tell me to hate my wife, by the way. All right? <clears throat> what about this one? Then he said to the crowd, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and your, take up your cross daily and follow me. Does that sound extreme to you? The all words of Jesus, one more, but Jesus told him, anyone who wants to put, puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. What am I trying to say? Being the church requires an extreme mindset. Being the church requires an extreme mindset. A mindset that is one that is of sacrifice rather than of self-advancement. One that puts others above yourself. Does that make sense? Okay. Are you here? You still here? Okay. You're like, I didn't like that part. I know. I didn't either. If, anyone, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Okay? So the basis of church is teaching people to obey the Lordship of Jesus Christ and surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord in their life. That's what the church is here to do. We're not, we're not here to just, to just go around, come together on Sunday and go, yeah. God's kind of awesome, and go home and do our thing. That's, that's not church. That's going to church, but it's not being the church. Being the church is declaring Jesus Christ Lord actively in this moment at every point in my life. It's more than admiring God. It's actually obeying God and following God. It's about responding to His mercy and offering all that we are to Him and walking in this world as, as nonconformists to a culture that wants more than anything for us to, to fit their mold. And that's what worship is about. It's about following Jesus Christ regardless of what popular culture thinks or what the world thinks is right. In fact, those thoughts and that culture is destructive to us. 
and it comes against the thoughts of God. So when you think about this, you think about Jesus' Lord, and you think about applying this, the applied lordship of Jesus Christ, I want you to home. I want you to, to get out of this building in your head for a minute, and I want to think about your house. Your house is a house of miracles on your block, okay? Your neighborhood. Because the Bible says that you and I, we are the light of the world. And so that means on your your block, the corner of your block, wherever your house is located, God has strategically placed a light on your block. A light that shines, it's a beacon to draw people to Christ. Your house, not ordinary faith that meets at the senior center, but all of these lights in the room are houses of miracle. And so God puts your house there, and that is where we begin to look at our neighborhoods, our worlds, our jobs the things that matter to us, and we begin to ask this question, because this is the root of worship. Where is Jesus not Lord? So what if you looked at your neighborhood and you begin to ask that question? Where is Jesus not Lord in my neighborhood? Well, man, there's a party across the street, and all kinds of awful things happen over there every Saturday night. I go and yell at them every Saturday night, and they're not seeing my light yet. <clears throat> What if every one of us took responsibility to make sure that the light of Jesus shined in our neighborhood? Man, that's, that's when you begin to ask the question, where exactly is Jesus Christ Lord in our neighborhood? What does this matter? There's this passage that really bugs me in Ephesians 2. And here it is, ready? It says, you used to live in sin... Just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, and he's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Everybody has a Lord. Everybody has a spiritual Lord. Okay? And Paul says in Ephesians 2 that you are all born under a cruel master, the devil. He hates you and wants to break you, and that's who your Lord is at birth. Okay? Now, how you escape that is through this beautiful rebellion of faith when you declare Jesus as your Lord. And you, you reject the enemy and darkness as your Lord, and now Jesus becomes your Lord, and, and you, know, you escape that cruel master. So you really want to insult the devil, all you have to do is literally and applicably declare Jesus as Lord in your life. Practically do that. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is Lord. That's not faith. That's not religion. That's not church. That's not theology. That's fact. Jesus is Lord. Ephesians 2.9, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every being, every being, in the natural, the supernatural, every being will eventually declare Jesus is Lord. Here's what matters to you. Timing. You have to declare Jesus is Lord before it's obvious to all of creation that Jesus is Lord. You have to have faith in what he said in his word before it's obvious to everybody. One day he cracks the eastern sky, and then everyone's going to go, oh, I was wrong. Shucks. 
So you're helping your neighborhood, your co-workers, your world declare Jesus as Lord while there's time. That's what this is about. Because sooner or later, every politician, every leader, every drug dealer, human trafficker, every abuser, every liar, I already said politicians, never mind. Every thief, I already said politicians, never mind. (sighs) Every family, every husband, every wife, every child, every marriage, every person, every business, all of it will declare Jesus as Lord eventually. Our work is to make sure the light shines so the people do it before it's too late. That's what worship is. Worship is declaring Jesus as Lord over the situations in our life, over the problems in our life, over the brokenness in our life. And so when we talk about a house of miracles, so my wife and I have moved in this home that's way beyond anything we could ever deserve, which is in character for God's treatment of us because everything we have is beyond anything we could ever deserve. And we're looking at our neighborhood. And, and we have an opportunity that we haven't had in 17 years. We have an opportunity to position our house and our family as a house of miracles in our neighborhood. A place where everything comes to the feet of Jesus and everything is done in the name of Jesus. And I, I, want, I want to ask you to do the same with your household. And I'm not just talking the physical instruction of your house, but everywhere in this life that your influence touches makes you and those who will help you and be part of it with you a house of miracles. A place where where now Jesus can be declared Lord here and now. And in truth, every disease, every sickness, every financial problem, all poverty, all of that has to bow to Jesus ultimately. Our job is to declare it so loudly and so faithfully that it bows now. And that people now bow and they find life. And in doing so, they're freed from their evil Lord, the dark Lord, Satan. And they embrace the Lord of light, who is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. And so we're moving into a place where we apply worship. So I want you to start thinking of worship in a larger capacity. Yes, it's singing. But worship isn't singing. I mean, everybody sings to some level, some bad, some clap, off time, Pastor Longfellow. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just picking on Pastor Michael. He, he graciously did not know I was going to do that. Um, but in all those things, we, we begin to declare Jesus as Lord in our neighborhood Begin to see problems and begin to declare Jesus as Lord over them. Begin to see hunger. Declare Jesus as Lord over that and come against that. Human trafficking. Places where the enemy has destroyed, we come in. And this is what it means to be a house of worship. It's to begin to apply the Lordship of Jesus Christ in every situation. So, we started out by simply saying, church isn't somewhere you go. Church may have a building it meets in. We do. Most do. But church, it's a set of values you live by. It's it's a lordship that directs your actions. Does that make sense? That's what church is. And so I am challenging you through the series to be the church. To... To not just go to church, but to go to take what we talk about today and begin to ask yourself, in your home, you could start there. Where's Jesus not Lord in my house? 
Of course, you'll start with your two-year-old, and then you'll realize, well, that was kind of carnal, and so you'll get bigger than that. You can look at your neighborhood, you can look at things that matter to you, and things that make you angry, and things that fire your passion, and you begin to look at those as a place where the lordship of Jesus needs to be applied. How can I apply that? Does that make sense? So I want you to bow your heads for a second. Worship team, I want you guys to come on up. I don't really have an an invitation today, but I want you to think before I pray. First, I want to ask you, since you have, I'm assuming most of you have declared Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, are you actually willing to be the church? You know, don't answer, don't say anything out loud, but that's our prayer. As we go right now, are you actually ready to be the church? And, And the second thing is, who are you the church with? Who else is involved with this? Because this is bigger. Declaring and applying the Lordship of Jesus Christ in whatever setting He's going to lead you to do that, it's going to be bigger than you can accomplish by yourself. And God works through His body. Jesus works through His body, the church. Not just through His finger. The Lord knows He could. Father, I ask You, Lord, to help us to actually take these ideas and these concepts and surrender to You. Help us, Lord, to be active and applied worshipers. To to look at our household and our homes, our family and our friends, our challenges, our job, the world we live in, and begin to ask the question, how can I declare Jesus as Lord here? How can I bring the light of the Lordship of Jesus here? How can I... Lord, maybe it looks like teaching my children to obey Jesus. It certainly means... That's certainly a great place to start. Father, maybe it looks like getting involved in, in some organization or community and begin to, to pray within that organization, begin to influence people with the Lordship of Jesus. But I ask, Lord, that you would raise up men and women and children to apply the Lordship of Jesus in the world in which we live. Please help us, Lord, to, to be the church. And in these times that are unprecedented for us, for sure, help us, Lord, to not be afraid. But let us understand in these times that it is, it is now time and has been time to declare Jesus. In His name I pray. Amen.